Hello again, everybody. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, I have a couple of announcements before we uh, really get into the story this morning. Um, we need um, people after the second hour, if you're still going to be around, um, they're looking for help upstairs to stack all the, cha the chairs in the sanctuary. Um, I'm assuming this is for VBS stuff. So if you're going to be around, if you have some time, I know they'd really appreciate that. Um, also related to VBS, on the very back table where the snacks are, there are some papers that look like this. Um, and for VBS, they are asking the um, connection classes this morning um, if there's anyone in here who wants to write down something of, of how they've seen God at work in their life somehow, which is ironically the whole topic of this class. Um, and it doesn't need to be super long, but if you, if you want to write down a few sentences on the back um, about how you've seen God working in your life, what they're going to do is take the, these God sighting stories and then um, put them up all around, um, on, I think on the balcony, so that throughout the week um, the, the kids can see that. They can see how God has been at work, uh, real stories in real people's lives of people here at this church. So um, just if you, if you have a few minutes, just go ahead and, and fill one of those out. And you can leave it in there. There's a basket where these papers are. You can leave it in there, and then we'll just collect them after service, and, and um, they'll be put up for you. So, um, yes, I think that's it on announcements. Um, I'm going to introduce our speakers. Um, we have this morning Jerry and Rebecca Risser. They have been married for 19 years in August, and they have three kids, Jameson and Lane, who are both 15 years old, and Lydia, who is 14. They have been at Faith for 11 years, and Jerry is an elder here, part of the Global Outreach Team, and coordinates the Strategic Seminary Partnerships, along with leading the partnership team for Kiev Theological Seminary. And Rebecca serves on the contemporary worship team as a vocalist. Jerry is a veterinarian and owner of Fall Creek Veterinary Medical Center, and Rebecca is a speech-language pathologist at the Voice Clinic of Indiana. And just yesterday, they have returned from a vacation on Lime Lake near the Sleeping Bear Dunes in Michigan. I'm not really sure where it is, but it looks beautiful. So um, thank you for coming back and, and speaking this morning. <laughs> We're glad you decided to come back. Thanks. <laughs> so I'm going to just uh, open us up in prayer for them, and then we'll let them get started. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this, this church and this chance to get together and to just hear what you have to say through Jerry and Rebecca. Lord, thank you for working in their lives and um, just for this chance for them to share that with us. I pray you'd be with those of us listening this morning, that you would um, just open our ears, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us through them, and just be with them as they share their story um, and share about you, Father. Again, we thank you for them and thank you for this church. Amen. So, um, Psalm 139, 1, 5, and 6. Can you hear me, by the way, okay? Good. All right. Um, it says, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's a, it is high. I cannot attain it. Um, so I'll start us out. I grew up in a Christian home. Most of it's spent in the small town of Sturgis, Michigan. You might recognize a few people up here. Um, we moved there when I was in first grade because my father took a pastorate at the First Baptist Church in 1972. You may already know my parents, Ron and Wanda Miles, back there. Um, I also grew up with two brothers, Phil and Dan, and I was the middle child and the only daughter. Um, 
By the age of five, two very difficult events occurred in rather quick order. The birth of my brother, Tim, and the death of my grandmother. Tim had severe disabilities, and uh, my grandmother's death followed uh, quickly after his birth. Eight months later, Tim also died. So this was a source of great pain and stress for my parents, as you can imagine, but also a point of ministry for them to other parents during their life as well. For myself, this led to some earliest memories of heaven and life after death. We had a family custom of reading Bible stories after dinner together. Discussions about our faith was both part of our family culture as well as my father's work. And as we grew older, we would talk about current events in light of a Christian worldview and how relationships looked from a Christian worldview. We grew up in the family with the family expectation of leading lives consistent with that Christian worldview. The downside to this was that I knew all the answers in Sunday school and found myself correcting my fourth grade teachers. <laughs> they were not as impressed with me as I was. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so over the 18 years that I lived in my parents' home, I also saw the other side of church where sausage is made. And um, I made up my mind I would never marry a pastor or a missionary, nor would I go into professional ministry myself. It's hard work. It's often heartbreaking work. My father was very good at it. Um, and he was called into ministry but advised us not to consider ministry unless you received a strong spiritual call to that. As I grew up, I was told I'd be different than others because I was a Christian, and for a kid who just wanted to fit in, this was difficult. As a pastor's kid in a church with only one pastor, I lived in a fishbowl. I was aware of eyes on me, and although I had friendships with my peers, I remember feeling isolated. My singing talents became noticed, and I was brought into the life of the church through choirs and other musical outlets. Another example of our small town life was that our church choir director and organist was also my piano teacher, our junior high choir director, and our senior high choir director. <laughs> Her husband was my orchestra director. You see where this goes. Their interest in me shaped a great deal of my musical interest through that time. And my identity as a musician was a healthy one, and it offered me an alternative to my sinking self-image. So I'll speed through high school, which was followed by college at Judson College, a small four-year Christian liberal arts school, which was followed by grad school at Northern Illinois University, where I received a master's of music. During my years in college, I enjoyed good friendships, a good education, including a rather fondly remembered debate between free will and predestination that lasted my entire freshman year. We did not resolve that. Um, <laughs> um, I dated a guy for about three years whose father was a minister in the Church of Christ, and this ultimately led to a year's attendance in a cult. Um, the Boston-based Church of Christ did not allow instruments, advanced a method of evangelism that took a page from ISIS, and insisted that the first word every disciple learns is obey. They confronted me with my boyfriend's collusion and tried to convince me I was never saved because I believed we were saved by faith alone rather than baptismal regeneration, which is what their stance was. The cult followed me to my parents' home in DeKalb, Illinois, where I attended grad school. When they called, they talked to my mother, however, and she set them straight. I was never bothered by them again. Wicked Wanda. All right. Um, <laughs> um, 
So Psalm 37, 25 says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. So after graduation from Northern, I moved to Chicago where I lived for the next seven to eight years. These were some of my most formative years, spiritually speaking. I became involved at Moody Church where I developed a wonderful group of friends from a singles group. During these years, as I continued to study voice and audition and perform in different venues, I became more independent with my faith. But at the same time, while I was experiencing good things over only a couple of years, I also became more and more disappointed with faith as I understood it, and my relationship with God was failing. In fact, I decided I was finished with God. I told him to leave me alone. I was no longer interested in our relationship, and he honored that. I was aware of his absence. I was frustrated with the path my singing took me with financial stressors and with relationship fails, and I realized that I was worth much more dead than I was alive. The Chicago flood occurred on April 13th of 1992 when the damaged wall of a utility tunnel beneath the Chicago River opened into a breach which flooded basements and underground facilities throughout the Chicago Loop where I worked with an estimated 250 million gallons of water. We all walked home. <laughs> um, but for me, that was the day I decided to end my life. I went home to my little apartment, went to the bathroom, and put my wrists under warm running water. I found something to cut them with, but I was a little intimidated with the idea just then, so I decided to wait. It was then that I felt a brush against my skin, and I heard a terrible laugh. I looked up in the mirror, and behind me, hanging in the middle of the room, was a large, round object. It was black, globe, with the worst laugh I have ever heard. I knew this was demonic. I looked back into the room, and it was gone from sight, but still present. I realized then that my act of self-destruction would only serve Satan. I quickly opened my Bible and read a passage in Isaiah. I remember feeling the presence of God immediately, of being aware of a fight over me. It was over in a moment, and I was left with peace and with an understanding that God had just fought for my life and won. The evil one was not done with me. There were two or three more attacks in the subsequent weeks that were terrifying for me. But as I learned to pray again, these occurred with less frequency. From that point on, I tried daily to reach out to God and appreciated a new intimacy with him and with his people. I learned to communicate more directly with my friends and, and family, attended counseling with a godly professional who taught me how to have adult relationships, and I learned that God was developing the believer through music and not the other way around. I realized the concept of grace. In 1996, I worked for Lyric Opera of Chicago in their development department and had a particularly rough breakup with someone I thought I was going to marry. This prompted some soul searching and a change of direction. I prayed a lot about the situation and began researching other career options. In 1997, I moved to Bloomington, Indiana and began grad school for speech-language pathology. I decided to channel my previous work and voice into working with rehabilitation of voices. In September of 97, I started attending a small church in Bloomington where someone attempted to introduce me to a guy named Jerry who had started a small group. I liked the book we were focusing on and thought it would be a good balance to my studies to attend a small group with this new church. I called and Jerry said I could join. Well, before we get to this point, um, I have to come into being. <laughs> um, 
So while she was growing up in Michigan, little did Rebecca know that Mr. Wright was uh, living just a few miles across the state line from her in Elkhart, Indiana, which is about two and a half hours north of here. I was the first child, first grandson on both sides of the family, so there were lots of pictures. My dad worked in HR for a musical instruments company, later for an RV industry, and finally for pharmaceutical companies. My mom was a nurse, but became a full-time <laughs> stay-at-home mom when I was born, never to return to nursing, except on us. My parents met on a blind date. Uh, dad grew up Mennonite, but disliked most of the piety of Mennonism. He attended Bluffton College, a Mennonite school in Ohio, but liked to smoke and drink beer, telling me later he was routinely on that other dean's list. <laughs> He transferred to Purdue as a junior, and there managed to avoid dean's lists of any sort. He had and has a great sense of humor and wit, gets along with anybody. Uh, Mom grew up in tiny Oxford, Indiana, near Lafayette, the daughter of a farm manager, and was Catholic. She was homecoming queen, pretty and popular, but also very shy. My parents were married a few months after they met, and I came along soon after. Mom was emphatic that I be raised Catholic. Dad, who discovered that most of the vices he so enjoyed were not shunned, but fully embraced by Catholicism, readily agreed, though he has never become Catholic himself. My brother John came along two years later. He's a chemical engineer uh, in Bellingham, Washington, and has uh, a wife and two kids. Dad's work gave us several moves, various places in the Midwest, then to the northern suburbs of Chicago, where I attended third through seventh grade. It was a happy set of years for us, and I became an altar boy at the Catholic parish where we were members. There's a picture of me there. I can still tell you how to properly fold hands for prayer and what leftover communion wine tastes like to an 11-year-old. My mom and her entire family had come to a new, deep understanding to Christ, um, a new relationship during the charismatic renewal of the 1970s. All left the Catholic Church but us. Dad was tolerant, if unenthusiastic. I was led to Christ by mom when I was in third grade. At that age, it's less a conversion experience than the start of a long journey, and that's just what mine was. When I was 14, about to start eighth grade, dad had a job transfer to Dallas, Texas. This was 1980, the beginning of the Yankee invasion when lots of companies and their people were moving to places like Texas. For me, it was culture shock. Bumper stickers declared, we don't care how you did it up north. My brother was taller than me, easy going. Somewhat athletic, made friends easily, and was relaxed around girls. I was in emerging adolescence, short, shy, bookish, brooding, quirky, with a face increasingly pustular and a head of hair that confused everybody. I loved ABBA. <laughs> and the Catholic Church in Texas at the time was way less progressive than we knew in Illinois. So while dealing with all the transitions, we added a new one. We were now going to a charismatic Assembly of God church where we ditched holy water and liturgy for messages in tongues and praise choruses. Like any good teenager, I was deeply contemptuous of all my parents' choices for my life, and this was near the top. I knew by nine years old that I wanted to do one thing, though. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I don't know if it was the right career for me, maybe still don't, but was apparently bright and stubborn enough to graduate salutatorian in my class at Grapevine High School, go to Texas A&M University and get accepted into vet school after my junior year. After seven years in College Station, Texas, I was a doctor of veterinary medicine, ready to take on the world. Those seven years were incredibly happy and horribly painful all at the same time. That part of my journey is way too long to describe here and filled with advances and retreats, 
but my initial plans to flee back to Catholicism as a freshman ended my fourth year of vet school in a spirit-filled United Methodist Church with morning and evening Sunday services that I went to and a young associate pastor that taught expositorily from Philippians in a way I'd never heard it. I soaked up every word like a sponge. I'd done an externship my fourth year of vet school in Bloomington at a practice close to my grandparents where I could, where I could stay for four weeks. I'd long wanted to come back to the Midwest, at least for a time. I missed the four seasons. It was October, beautiful time in southern Indiana, and a not-so-pretty time in Texas. The practice offered me a job, and one of the few times I could clearly sense this was God's will, I jumped in with both feet. I prayed big plans. Be hugely successful and happy veterinarian, meet an ideal spouse by the end of year one, and connect with a church that would be a logical extension of all the growth I'd experienced. God emphatically answered all those prayers with resounding no's. <laughs> I generally hated my job, working 12-hour days and then being on call three to five nights a week. No emergency clinics meant that I saw every sick animal at 10 p.m., 2 a.m., 5 a.m., and then worked another 12-hour day, just to repeat. I had little social time and met few people, dating even less. I hated every church I visited and finally gave up. But God's timing was not my timing, and the emphatic no's became my season of boot camp, of tempering, seasoning as a Christian. My first week in Bloomington, in my first of many crises, I heard a still, small voice tell me, I will make you long for me. And he did. It took a couple of years in the wilderness, but he led me through one of my clients to a little free church called Harvest, an amazing home in a place where I was discipled and grew deep friendships. And three years later, when I decided I was sick of being single and would take matters into my own hands, I went to a singles conference, which of course was led by happy married people who were bent on helping us find our holy match at another church. Uh, it was awful, and I came home deciding that my life could indeed be worse. And I would trust God <laughs> that permanent singleness would be fine if that's what he had for me. A week later, after I'd agreed to lead a small group at Harvest, someone interested in the group called. She was single. New to Bloomington, a grad student. Her voice was like music, and she seemed so together. Yeah, I would love her to join the group. She showed up my door with that smile the first night of the meeting, and I knew. God's timing was indeed perfect, and I confidently pursued a relationship with Rebecca Miles. She can tell you more of that very smooth and easy story. What a lead-in. All right, there you go. Um, Jerry and I began to spend time together as part of our small group. Next. Oh, right. Um, one weekend, our group planned to hike together, but I was the only one that showed up. So I gave him the option of not going just with me in case he was worried about appearances, and then off we went. Um, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't worried. I this put is, a lot of planning into this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> oh. Into the hike. Oh, okay. I was going to say, did you plan? Whoops. Um, all right. Well, off we went. This is where we had our first private conversations and got to know each other a little better. I wasn't interested in him at the time. My heart was with someone else in Chicago. But it was nice to talk to a mature Christian man who had a gentle heart and was easy to talk to. And I noticed how good looking he was. I also noticed he had a hard time walking. So right behind, yeah, right behind me, it would be like bum, 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 I even turned around and asked him, what's your problem? Why can't you walk? Um, and of course, he blamed his mother. So uh, <laughs> at the end of the hike, however, it was me that fell. 
All of a sudden, Dr. Risser decided to show up, and suddenly he was an ankle specialist. Uh, this also got my attention. So as I neared Thanksgiving, I began to pray that God would show himself to me regarding relationships with men. I prayed that God would change my heart to reflect his desires for this relationship in Chicago. So when I saw my friend in November, my feelings for him had changed a great deal. I still enjoyed his friendship, but I didn't have romantic feelings for him at all. After the holiday, I returned to school and finished the remainder of the semester. Jerry offered to watch my apartment for me. He also mentioned he'd be in Chicago area visiting friends and could we meet for breakfast. I, lived with, I went to visit my parents in DeKalb. I agreed. The morning we were to meet, I came down with horrible flu symptoms. I had to cancel. Again, God led our relationship, as Jerry had planned to share his growing feelings with me, and if I rejected him, he would never pursue me again. Had I heard his feelings then, I would have said nope, and our relationship would presumably have ended before it began. Over the holidays, Jerry called to give me several updates on my empty apartment. Um, he would speak to my parents first, and my mother asked me, why wasn't I giving that nice Jerry a chance? She also seemed to think he might be interested in me. I agreed he was nice, but I didn't think he could handle my strong personality. He would tell me <laughs> he would tell me he missed me, and I'd say thanks. Um, but, again, <laughs> but again, my desire to seek God caused me to pray he would change my heart to reflect his will in this relationship, too. We went out for dinner when I returned for second semester, and I began to see that he was well-read. He enjoyed talking about a variety of topics. He told funny stories, and he had a responsible job and he even lived in a house. I remember one time he used our phone to order mulch. <laughs> My roommate and I were astonished. He was such a grown-up compared to other guys I had dated. <laughs> oh dear, the things that tip us over. Um, so <laughs> in November of 98, he proposed at Hesitation Point in Brown County State Park, and I said yes. I've always appreciated the obvious ways that God directed our relationship um, there was never any question in my heart or mind that God had placed us together to sharpen and grow each other through marriage. We've always been a better team together than we were as individuals. I finished classes in early August, finished the remaining plans for our wedding, and moved to Noblesville. We married on August 21st. Yay! I finished my externships and graduated in March of 2000. I eventually found a clinical fellowship position with Methodist Hospital Inpatient Care and spent the next 10 months cramming about two years of information in my head. I took a position with St. Vincent Outpatient after that and revived the voice program there. We enjoyed traveling and spending whatever time we could together as we learned to do life right beside the other with two very busy careers. The decision to have kids can be made for different reasons. Uh, mine hovered between it would be cool to have kids and that's what you're supposed to do. When I suggested we get cracking, Rebecca called me on it. My rationale would only crystallize in the challenges to come. My brother and his wife had struggled with infertility. We weren't super young and thought it likely we'd have trouble too. When months went by and nothing happened, we knew we were there. One thing we decided early and the wisest advice we could give anyone is to set the boundaries where we felt comfortable. Since then, I've gotten a master's in bioethics and taken and taught classes here in reproductive ethics. For people who don't like gray areas, bioethics and especially the use of reproductive technologies is a rough place, it's filled with them. We prayed that we'd be open to God's will for us that we would remain open to him as receivers of his gifts rather than insist on our way in this area. Mm -hmm. IVF can be done ethically, but we also knew for us it was telling God what we wanted him to do. We remember an image of hands remaining open. We would do anything that would allow us to have a biological child, but just up to that point. 
so we were receiving and not taking. We, meaning Rebecca, had surgeries and I gave her shots of expensive drugs we ordered from France to save money. Our doctor gave us a 90% chance of a pregnancy within three cycles. After our fourth, nothing. Our next step, he told us, was IVF. I sort of felt ready to try it, but Rebecca quickly said, no, thank you, we're done. The boundary we'd set, our hands open, not grabbing. There's a grief not unique to us that is based on the idea that you'll never see someone who has your features or a facet of your personality or your love of books or something else. There won't be pictures of a growing belly or childbirth classes or pictures of a baby footprints. In a sweet and really poignant memory, Rebecca cried as she said, I'll never have a little Jerry. My way to deal with grief is to do something, to move on. I know that's not Rebecca's way, but she indulged me. Early in our marriage, we had a chance to hear the Romanian Orphans Choir at the church we were attending. It struck a nerve seeing these children who were orphans only because of the desperate economic condition in the former communist states. Somehow I always thought international adoption would be part of our future. Even when we were 90%, I was actively studying it on the internet and making calls all over the country. Rebecca called the guy at church who was responsible for the choir coming. International adoption is nothing if not unpredictable and he advised us not to invest in Romania. He directed her to someone else at church who worked for and adopted through an agency here in Indianapolis that works in Russia. She also called several other friends who had undergone adoptions in our circle around the country, this was before Facebook, keep in mind, and investigated about 10 other agencies. And we found Kids First here in Indianapolis was our best choice. Ina, who owned the agency, immigrated from the Soviet Union and had a heart for the children and orphanages there. Rebecca, fresh off our negative pregnancy test, our final negative pregnancy test, agreed to a meeting. At our first meeting with Ina, I was in. Rebecca was skeptical. We would do a home study and fill out lots of paperwork. On the next point, there's a difference of remembrance, actually. Um, I recall lots of online advice that we would be wisest to adopt two kids at once because a return trip to Russia would be so much harder if we already had a child at home. She remembers that I said it would be a lot cheaper just to do two at once. <laughs> how she knows me. Both were true. Um, we would receive a referral of two children sometime and travel to Russia twice, first to meet the kids and start the process and then for the final adoption. We squeezed every last drop from our savings and the equity in our home and waited for referrals that would come some months after our home study. Our final infertility appointment was the last day of March. We met Ina in April. Our timing said we'd be traveling early the next year. Again, we were off. During our first home study in early May, Ina had two referrals for us. We would travel in two months. An incredulous Rebecca just said, you're telling me we're seven months pregnant and we didn't know it? <laughs> we took a vacation to Sunset Beach, North Carolina with my brother's family. We worked on names that we scribbled on napkins at the Calabash Seafood Shack and wrote scrapbook notes to babies in an orphanage who were strangers to us as we stared out over the ocean that separated us. Our first trip was in early July where we flew to Moscow met up with a group of other adoptive families from the U.S. and Europe, and then flew a Russian airliner to Ekaterinburg, a city of 1.3 million, about a two-hour flight from Moscow. If a Russian airline flight isn't a faith test, you are not trying. <laughs> Stories. That day, we went into orphanage number two in ECAT, and the caregivers brought us our kids. Truly, they weren't ours, and our emotions were mixed. Jameson, then Yugor, was a charmer who had about four caregivers beaming as they brought him to us and checked us out. The orphanages are very poor, but the ladies who cared for the kids truly cared for them. Lane, then Anna, had a different story. She had been in and out of the hospital three times and had a sore in her nose from rubbing it on the hospital bed. 
She was lactose intolerant, but the orphanage had no money for milk or for formula, so she drank and constantly spit up unpasteurized cow's milk. I remember holding her and thinking, I love you, but your smell of rotten milk really grosses me out. <laughs> I held her, and I knew it would be a couple of weeks, which itself was unusually quick, until I could come back and bring her home. And I prayed for her and for the boy who would become her brother. We met Lane and Jameson on July 9th in Yekaterinburg, Russia. Um, we came home for 10 days, and I should have added here in my notes that that with 10 days, uh, Jameson, and, or Jerry rather, had contracted Jardia, and it was an exciting 10 days. That was um, a faith journey itself. That was also a faith journey. <laughs> Just getting back. Okay, anyway. Um, and, uh, and then we returned, so we only had 10 days home, and then we returned to Russia um, another, for another six to nine days. And we met with other families in Yekaterinburg and prepped for our time in court on July 29th of 03. It was very hot, there was no air conditioning, and our judge spent over an hour with us. He grilled Jerry on our finances as well as job stability. He also wanted to know how we, could, we would continue their Russian heritage and why we had adopted in Russia. And one of my most beautiful memories of Jerry is him standing up to the judge defending our desire to be parents. When it was my turn, he spent less time with me questioning the decision to have two children and did we have plans to have other children. And I don't remember how I responded, but I told him nobody knows what they're getting into as new parents. And I had just spent time with both the day before. I wanted both of them to come home with us. All this occurred through a translator. We found out later he spoke in English to the other parents after us. The journey home was difficult, with a few funny stories thrown in, one canceled flight, and one husband who fell off the handle at the check-in clerk, but we all survived. <laughs> and we were greeted by both sets of parents waiting to see their new grandchildren. I had a maternity leave of three months, which I took in full because I knew I wasn't going to have another one. We had been coached about responding to our new kids, making sure that when they, when they cried, we responded, and when they woke, we responded. This way, they would learn what it meant to be cared for in a family. They didn't tell us how to get them into bed, and they didn't tell us what to do when they refused to fall asleep. Um, they proved to be very good sleepers, by the way, but Jameson especially needed to have a very structured schedule. Life became organized into two-hour slots during the day, and, when we, and we began looking for a nanny for 20 hours weekly to begin as I went back to work. Um, the rest of the time, the kids were with us. Routine was good for all of us, and so I couldn't understand why I was starting to get so tired by mid-morning. Eventually, I took Lane and Jameson in for their checkups toward the end of my maternity leave. I thought that before I went to see the doctor with them, who was, happened to be the same doctor for me, um, I would take a pregnancy test to, re to reduce high laboratory costs. It was the first time I ever passed. Um, I, mean, <laughs> I made Jerry bring two more home, and we would do the best two out of three. It was positive again. Um, when I told Jerry, he went into dry heaves and ran a few financial... <laughs> He ran a few financial disaster relief programs in his mind, um, and the doctor responded, my doctor responded to me saying um, with these pregnancy tests that it was confirmatory, which left me with little to do but try to accept it. I had morning sickness the entire first trimester. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at Lydia right now. Oh dear. Um, the next several months brought continued cha continual change into our lives. Our kids came home the size of three-month-old kids, and required occupational, physical, and speech therapy. Um, they were, by the way, seven and seven and a half months when we brought them home, so this was uh, the result of being in an institution. 
Lane was of particular concern because she had been so severely neglected. The back of her head was flat, her affect was flat, and the physicians thought she would likely have cognitive deficits. Did you know that? Didn't know that, did you? Within three months, she was a changed baby. Having nearly doubled her size, she learned to sit up and move around well and share her very vocal opinions with everybody. Um, seeing the change in both of our kids during this time remains one of the most beautiful parts of being a mom to me. Um, I went back to work from October through May of 2004. Lydia was late, which has ironically become a character trait of hers. So we welcomed our third child in the space of 10 months in June instead of May. Uh, two weeks later, Jerry had his first Father's Day. <sighs> Happy Father's Day today, honey. Don't I look at peace? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Lydia's just two weeks old, poor baby. All right. I returned to work in mid-August and have continued to work for about 30 hours a week. I've been questioned about this by well-intentioned and at times rather accusatory individuals. My simple answer for this is that I wasn't sure I'd be very successful as a mother, so I needed something to balance it with. Um, I knew by this time how to do my job. Uh, the deeper reason was that I felt led to be a mother. As I felt led to be a mother after going through years of infertility, I also felt led to, into my work in rehabilitation, um, taking part in the act of restoration every day. For me, this has been a difficult but a worthwhile balance to strike. You know, in a sense, it's presumptuous to call this our faith story because God hasn't finished writing it yet. Besides that, there are parts of my own and our marriage's journey that can't begin to be shared and may never be able to be shared publicly. Just having children, whether or not international adoptions involved, is to set yourself up for a heart that will break in a thousand places. Happily Ever After isn't the Christian story this side of eternity. The author Henri Nouwen uses the beautiful term wounded healers to describe us as Christians. I hope that realization of who we are and what God has done in and through us makes us better parents, part of God's redemptive plan. As Rebecca and I look back at the way our stories converged, the way God has woven them together in a way we'd never have imagined before and can only marvel at even now, we see that we had big hopes, huge prayers, deep longings, and God showed us that his ways were the best for us, and his timing was the right timing. Rebecca and I are both convinced that we would not have been able to stand each other had we met any time before we did. But we see what God has done in our marriage and through our marriage. I told Jameson that I could not have made a son like him, including athletic gifts that we didn't give him. I had to go to the other side of the world to find one. And Lane has the gifts of extroverted relational confidence, a sweet warmth that shows few stains of our DNA. <laughs> Finally, Rebecca's longing for a little Jerry was a kind of prayer answered with a kind of quirky, really funny, bright, sensitive kid that we named Lydia, who has every bit of our DNA, including looking a lot like her mom and a lot of both of us in her. God's grace is amazing. All very different, all the apples of our eye. We'd like to tell you how our story ends, but we can't. We can tell you that a good and glorious God, the God who speaks through the prophet Zephaniah, who showed the death of his love through our Lord Jesus, somehow quiets our troubled hearts with his love, delights in us, sings over us, and will someday glorify himself through our family in his time, not ours. Thank you for letting us share.
want to ask our kids to stand up. They look a lot different now. Yes. <laughs> Jameson, seriously. And we have a few minutes for questions or recriminations, if you'd like. <laughs> Rebuttals. Yeah. So, sure. Adam's question uh, is, how did I get involved in the seminary partnerships here at church? Um, it sort of seems like for anything that I've done, um, I've kind of been a reluctant warrior. <laughs> um, I ended up, when I, when I taught, a, uh, taught my first bioethics class here, a bioethics in the church class, uh, I taught it second hour. And Charlie Kelly, for those of you who know Charlie Kelly, um, um, to argue that he is persuasive is probably an understatement. But he, at one point, was like, I want to take you out to lunch and figure out what you're all about. I was like, okay. And he found out that I had a heart for that part of the world. And I had been to, I'd gotten my bioethics degree at Trinity, um, not through the seminary there, but through the graduate school. I'd taken a couple of seminary classes too, but gotten that degree. And so he, know, he knew that I was familiar with the seminary and he was interested in developing sort of champions for each of the, of the seminaries. And by that point, the Snyders had already kind of signed on for KTS and it was still kind of embryonic uh, with Nairobi. And I said, you know, of the three, Ukraine is probably the closest to my heart because that's where my kids, close to where my older kids came from. So, again, as one thing led to the other, that kind of is something where I sort of connected with Steve and Nancy Wooden. Their hearts for Ukraine are phenomenal, if you've met them. And traveled there uh, one time on an exploratory trip, and um, I was, I was kind of hooked. Um, it's an easy place to love. So. I'm not sure we have yet. <laughs> so the question but, is, how did, with our, with our um, we talked about where our faith, kind of where our different journeys were. He was kind of talking about how, that, how did that converge, where we had two very different traditions that kind of came together. I'll answer this one. So, uh, so um, one of the things we started doing right away when we got married particularly, um, but first of all, by the way, uh, before we even met, we met at the same church, um, and by that time, um, the church that we met at, we both agreed very, you know, we were both, both um, it, it was an evangelical free church, and we were closely aligned, uh, both of us were closely aligned with what that was about. I grew up American Baptist. Um, he grew up just about everything else. So he, it was, it was more along the line of the fact that by the time we got there, it was already done, if you will. Um, we ended up merging a lot in terms of our traditions, um, in terms of our holidays, for example, how we started that out right away. Um, and then, you know, just prayer time and, and time to talk about a lot of the things where we do. It, it, it was really challenging to think about somebody, for me, to talk with somebody um, who had really worked out a lot of differences across such a spectrum. I mean, you went immediately from Catholicism to Assemblies of God. It's a bit of a stretch. Um, 
So, and then he settled kind of midway uh, in terms of um, mainline. So for me, I grew up mainline Protestant, um, and it was good to talk to somebody who had appreciation for so many other things too. Um, there were times where we conflicted on this. Um, at one point when we were looking for a church, uh, we found Faith, which was uh, a really wonderful fit for both of us and our family too. But in the meantime, we were exploring a couple of other places, and um, I remember one time uh, at an evening service, we went to, a, a, I won't say charismatic, it wasn't fully charismatic, I'll, let's say it that, but it was awfully close to, it was a little closer than I felt comfortable with. So um, we had good conversations out of that after I settled down. but. Um, it was also, it's also important to know that from a charismatic background, um, when I was growing up, charismatic revival also happened in the Protestant denomination. Um, and I remember uh, really strongly, if you do too, Dad, Dad was the um, president. I, were you president of the association, the American Baptist Association of Michigan at that time? Yeah, vice president. And um, at that time, I saw a lot of um, churches actually split over the charismatic issue. Um, and we saw, we, I, we just saw really good people and really good places um, go down with it. And it, it's something that really stuck with me. I never trusted it after that. Um, probably uh, uh, too far biased on that end of it, but I, I would never even dream of, personally, you know, of uh, um, going out with a guy like that. You know what I mean? It just wouldn't have been in my, I, I'd been challenged by it several times since and I just, I just couldn't do it. But. Yeah. That time that I was in Bloomington really was the time that was kind of, like I said, it was a tempering time for me where I really did work out my salvation with fear and trembling and kind of got to know where I felt on, you know, where, where I felt the most comfortable with those. So most of the most of the dirty work had been done by the time we met. Yeah, that's a good thing, huh? Yeah, I, I still remember being confronted by the cult, for example. Yeah, having spread my wings a little bit further too. But um, and that was um, probably one of the more painful things I've ever gone through in terms of somebody um, really grilling me on my own salvation. I as that in my time uh, in Chicago really formulated me along with just I had just such a great upbringing with my parents. Um, and you, if you know them, you know what I'm talking about. They they're sort of solid all the way through, and I, um, yeah. I, I feel like God has really preserved us, but also um, for each other, but also sharpened us a lot so that we're, um, we definitely sharpen, I mean, we definitely have good conversations about that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been a very good, it's been, it's been a very good fit. Yeah. Mary, yes, sir. So the question, the question, I guess, is um, uh, how has our theology kind of changed, and how have we kind of changed together during that time? And and you know, had when we met 20 years ago or more, um, what would we have, you know, what what in the future would have surprised us? You know, I don't, I, I don't know if there's major tenets of it that have. I think there's things that change all the time, and there's, I'm, I, you know, this is a, a Chet Wood phrase, but I'm just confused at a higher level um, with each passing year. Um, you know, I think there's more stuff that I realize is like, I really thought I had that down. I really thought what I believed was absolutely it. And now it's like, gosh, I don't know. 
Um, and they, these aren't major, major things. These aren't deal-breaking things. But there'd be all kinds of things that I could list that I won't that are just things that I'm still processing. And sometimes we'll talk about it if we aren't both exhausted from chasing around three children. And we'll, we'll and you know, we may agree and disagree on some things like that. But, um, but I think there's been a lot of my views that really have changed depending on, you know, how you look at um, everything from creation and um, all the way up to what our eschatology is, what, what, what we think the future will be. We, we have different views of all that. Again, none of those are deal breakers, but it's stuff that um, I think we each, as we kind of read and learn and study and hear things, um, you just automatically have to change a little bit what you think, and that's proof positive that there's no completely clear answer to all the questions. There's some solid answers to the major questions, but, um, but we, we still haven't, we haven't solved it all. We'll still, I'll probably be, you know, however old God lets me get, I'll still probably be at my deathbed confused about some major point of theology. I would say my answer to that is, um, in terms of the bedrocks of my faith, the, 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 the underpinnings, I would say not very much has changed um, in that regard. Um, faith has been uh, a really, um, the, act, the, the belief that God is good and that uh, a good God loves me well um, is, is rather simple, simple um, but it's also elegant in the sense that I, uh, I have had enough experiences that he has loved me well that I don't question that. Where I have changed is that I, um, I think after I got married, I, I did not have as many quiet times. I did not have as much intimacy with God. That has changed more recently. Um, just, and, and in that process, uh, my own personal failings have been rather mighty. Um, and I've had to really, um, really repent and go back to my God about how I can be changed again through prayer. Um, and I feel like uh, that, that, that it's not a bad place to be. It's not a really welcome place in many ways, but it's also a place where uh, less of me and more of him as I go in my most important relationships I think is pretty good. Notice that for, for about 10 seconds, because I know you want to get to um, oh, the discussion. The, our careers do give us huge opportunities, yeah. frankly, to minister um, beyond what I would have ever imagined uh, as far as conversations that are opened up, um, just the hearts that we can reach into with that. And so that has been phenomenal, at least in my faith as well, is to see how God works through me as a glorified puppy plumber um, as a veterinarian to uh, to be a um, to to um, be able to touch people's hearts and emotions and and speak spiritual things and Rebecca clearly does too she's making people talk so mm -hmm. all right thanks thanks I hope you guys have had some um, good conversations at your tables. Um, just a quick reminder to everybody, um, after second hour, if you can stick around and, hi Isabel, 
Um, stack chairs, move chairs up in the sanctuary. I know they'd love if you could help out with that. Um, and as a preview for next week, Jonathan and Becky Lawrence will be speaking on being pursued by God. So hope you'll be back for that. Uh, let me just close this with prayer. Heavenly Father, um, thank you again for this chance to get together and just to hear how you've been at work in the lives of uh, Jerry and Rebecca. Father, just thank you for their willingness to share with us this morning. And I just pray that you would uh, bless them and, and let us use what we've uh, learned through their story in our lives. Father, I pray that we can um, just trust you and know that, that you know what's best for us no matter what we're going through right now, Father. Um, I pray these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>